No mai, haere mai, and welcome to Koko Ngati, a podcast that combines cross-cultural wahine Māori and Pacific male perspectives on issues and topics relating to us. It's our stories by our people. Kia ora, I'm Maya Wilson. Kia ora na, I'm Johnson Riella, and we are the hosts of Koko Ngati. Season 1 focuses on being mixed race here in Aotearoa. Although we aren't entirely mixed race ourselves, we talk to inspiring people who openly share their experiences. Today, we it all with a sports journalist who is a proud Māori Punjabi mother, wife and model. My grandparents, they've both passed away now, my dad's mum and dad, never ever spoke English ever. So imagine having grandparents that you could never have a conversation with and that was us. But in saying that, in a weird way, it worked like we just new type thing? It was bizarre. Ravinda Hunia talks to us about her interesting family dynamics with her mum being Māori and her father Punjabi and what that was like growing up in New Zealand. She also shares about the struggles she's faced as a female sports journalist and how at times male journalists wouldn't talk to her because she is wahine Māori. So my name is Ravinda Hunia. Well, my maiden name was Ravinda Singh. Um, my father's from Punjab, or Diroli Kurd, a little village just outside of Punjab. And my mum's from um, Tapuke, the kiwi fruit country of New Zealand. And um, yeah, from Tapuika Iwi. And yeah, I have two sisters and a little brother. And I have three tamariki of my own and a, and a husband. Nice. Tell us, tell us a bit about your, uh, your upbringing. Uh, what was your childhood like? Well, I have a twin sister, so that made it quite interesting. Well, you, you know how you think back at your childhood and it's never really, it is what it is and it's normal to you until you grow up and look yeah. back and you talk to other people about this? Yeah, mine was a bit like that. But um, now it was really interesting growing up because obviously our mum and dad were worlds apart in terms of culture and that really um, affected us in positive and sometimes negative ways as well. So my sister and I look just like my mum. We're quite fair, but you know we've got a little bit of something, but you can't quite work it out. Whereas my sister has the long, dark, thick hair, olive skin. And if you look at her, you would know that she is um, Punjabi Indian. So there was those sorts of like comparisons growing up and where do we fit in the world and um, mm. you know, when my mum fell pregnant with us, my dad was like, okay, we've got to get married because that's just the way you do things um, in the Sikh religion. And um, yeah, there were all these sorts of things. But finding our place in the world with two very um, unique cultures was a little bit of a struggle and it still is now, uh, especially for um, my twin sister and I who have kind of been on a, on a bit of a journey, you know, going back through our whakapapa and really trying to learn who we are and where we're from and things like that. It's a bit harder here to learn about our Indian heritage being on the other side of the world, but we've had a bit of success with our with our Māori side. But, yeah, growing up, I didn't have a little brother back then. He's only um, 14 now. So it was <laughs> it was just us and it was me, my sister, and our younger sister's um, two years younger than us. So it was just, you know, we grew up. Um, we called ourselves the Charmed Ones because we were obsessed with Charmed. Uh, <laughs> P3. Um, and, um, yeah, we kind of just um, went about life. And um, I don't quite know how to really describe. I've never really spoken about it before. But we moved around a lot. 
We moved from house to house a lot. I think every South Auckland suburb, we lived in it mm-hmm. and we went to school in it. Um, just why, th- why was that? Why? I think it was because my mum and dad were trying to put themselves in a situation where um, they could... A, own a home eventually, but um, slowly but surely my dad's relatives were coming over from India, the the men. Um, so we were looking for housing so that when they got here, we could house them as well and they could set up for their whanau and um, get a, like my dad was giving everyone jobs. And um, yeah, we were just looking for places where we could house our extended family so that they could start their life here just like he did because he immigrated over here as well, so... Mm-hmm. Sounds like it was full of love though Yeah it was, yeah. it was In the early years um, of my, like I, when I think back to my childhood I, I feel like I had like the best childhood Like I was happy, I know my sisters were happy uh, My mum and dad were in a happy marriage and things like that um, But once we hit college it kind of changed mm. And mum and dad went through a divorce Wow and um, we were kind of in an era, it was happening a lot around us as well. Like we felt like we were in this generation mm. of parents getting divorced. So, um, yeah, and then there was, it was a bit of a struggle in there, as you can imagine, being 13, 14 and, mm. you know, um, three girls all together, hormonal and whatnot. Jesus Christ, when I think back now. But, yeah, in the early parts of life, like there's nothing we would take back. Um yeah, there's this really interesting story I have about my Indian family, actually, because you know how I was saying that my dad's, well, it was like his two brothers and cousins were slowly coming over from um, India. Like, they don't speak any English. So we didn't really, we couldn't really, like, sit down and talk to them and, and build these relationships with them. And, um, like, we didn't know that they had wives or that we had cousins or anything. We There were just these... Indian guys rocking up and we think they're related to dad and um, they just went to work and they all came home, went to sleep and carried on. So um, eventually when they did get set up, we like had all these cousins that just showed up and like one of the aunties was my dad's sister that we knew nothing about. And it was just like, when when we think back now, it's it's hilarious, but... I don't know, it was just the way that migration kind of happened. Back How in the day. was that growing up? It's like you sort of had strangers that were whānau mm. living in your own home, and mm. then you have all this other whānau that turn up. Did you still have that language barrier with them? Like, yep. was it hard to communicate and really get across? Yeah, yeah, all the time. My grandparents, they've both passed away now. My dad's mum and dad never, ever spoke English, ever. So imagine having grandparents that you could never have a conversation with, and that was us. But in saying that, in a weird way, it worked like we just knew type thing. It was bizarre. But um, my BBG, which is grandma, she used to take us to temple every Saturday. And um, on Saturdays... um, you could go to Punjabi learning school. So it's, it was for kids like us who were born in New Zealand. You could go there and learn about, you know, I don't know, Punjabi tanga. <laughs> yeah. I love that word. Yeah. Punjabi, Punjabi tanga. <laughs> and about, you know, religion and the language and the alphabet and counting and, and all those sorts of things. So she really tried to um, give us That's that language. Cool. Yeah. How, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of, Thinking about you know your mum's from here, little old New Zealand from Tipuke, mm. and then you have it, your dad's from the other side of the world. Mm. How the hell did they meet? Well, 
But they're still a bit dodgy about it, actually, when we ask them about it. But from what we understand is um, when people were migrating to New Zealand, all the jobs were in those small town Uh, small towns like if you were like picking kiwi fruit or cutting shrubs or whatever and that's what my dad did he um, based himself in tauranga and um, he was cutting cutting grass and all this sort of you know just labor work farm work and one day because he came to New Zealand with his cousin they went to tepuki one day because the tepuki pub was a popular place that people used to go to you all meet in the pub it's eh? always at the pub always and so, yeah, then, then the rest was history. Well, that's cute. what they told us. Cute, <laughs> cute, yeah. cute. So you've briefly spoken on it, mm. how, like you said, two different worlds. Tell mm. us what it was like being a young mixed-race female growing up in Aotearoa. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, it was tough. Mm. Um, because in the background of all of that, like we were a, uh, we were like, what do you call it, a nuclear family? So it was us five. Mm. And um, although we had all these moving parts coming in and out of the home, we didn't really, you know, stick here or stick mm. there. And it was always separate. So it was never like um, our Māori and Punjabi family together. It was We had two separate lives mm. in the wow. beginning because back in the... So this was, I was born in 84. So back then, it wasn't normal to even see an Indian in a place like Te Puke. Oh. So when my mum um, started having a relationship with my dad, my mum's family didn't accept it. Well, the, you know, like the parents and, and the mm. people that uh, meant a lot to her didn't accept it. And my dad's um, family, they were still in India, so... They used to write letters and things like that, and, and it wasn't really accepted by them either because, you know, there's a way of doing things. We choose your wife. You don't choose yes. your own. Um, so what they did was um, had my sister and I at Tauranga Hospital, and we came to Auckland. So that's why we kind of, like, fleed um, the Bay of Plenty to, to start a life and start, you know, like, getting normal. Um, but on top of that, being Māori as well, you know, it was never too far away and um, the language thing became quite an issue. Like my mum and dad used to start butting heads about, oh, your mum takes them to temple to learn the Indian language, yes. but you won't let them go to kapahaka after school. And, and it started to become quite a little bit toxic, so much so that my sisters and I don't have the Punjabi language. We don't have the Māori language either. Um, but my dad is a fluent speaker in Punjabi and we don't know the language. Mm-hmm. And I th- really do feel when we think back that because of that big disconnect mm-hmm. and n- of it not being accepted, we suffered by not having the language anymore. Like we'll go to temple and we go to, you know, we make, mix and mingle with our family and rah, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. But there's always that that element of language that we don't have mm. with everybody else, which is really, really stink and probably one of the biggest regrets in life. My sisters and I still haven't been to India because wow. we still don't quite feel that we, I don't know if it's that we don't belong there, mm. but that it's never really been us yes. or a part of you know what I mean? Mm. It's it's in a in a weird kind of way. Then you throw being a female into the mix. Mm. You know, we've all grown up. The three of us have children. I'm married, but 
you know, my husband and I, we got married in a Western style. My two sisters have children and they aren't married, which is not how you do things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it was quite tough to, to try and do life and be accepted at the same time. And how was that in terms of, did you feel like you had two different identities mm-hmm. but didn't fully fit in either of them? Like, yes. how was that when you were at school and other people like, hey, you don't look, you don't look like that. Yeah. How are you there? Yeah, or that's not your dad. Yeah. Oh, your mum needs to tell you that you look just like the mailman. You know, like you get those sorts wow. of comments wow. all the time, even to the fact where my mum's own family would say that to us, that my dad, you know, oh, there's this person that was on the scene or, you know, that, that kind of stuff that was fed to us. Mm. So it didn't help, you know, when you're really trying to to connect because it, and it gives you doubt. It gave us doubt. Mm. We're like, is it? Is it not? And, you know. My dad's my dad, you know, it's ridiculous how much we're like him. But, yeah, um, yeah, it it was, yeah, it's still quite sad now, actually. Mm. Yeah. So now that you're a mother, Mm. how do you ensure that the same doesn't happen to your children? And how do you ensure that they are raised in an environment where they're learning both cultures? Mm. Uh, The best I can do, because I don't feel I'm like knowledgeable enough is like anytime there's something to do with my Punjabi family they come with me or if it's you know a family gathering or like a Christmas or a whatever you know they're always there with me so that they get to experience it is it enough hell no it's not enough you know like and they don't really understand where they lie in it like it's more diluted for them than it ever has been for me because I don't even know the information to really give them. And after my mum and dad divorced, they kind of both drifted away out of our lives. Mm. So my sisters and I are really quite close because in those uh, mid to late teen years, we kind of only had each other Mm. to count on. And so because of that, you know, we really had to fight to you know, sometimes we won't even get an invite to go over to the family's house because we know it's because we haven't done things the right way mm-hmm. or the way that everyone else has kind of done it. So we we miss out, but we're just trying to, you know, do as much as we can. We celebrate the things like Diwali and, and try and educate our kids as much as um, we can, but we know that they you know, are going to grow up and look back and go, man, you know, how, yeah. how, how do we learn? <laughs> mm. No doubt. So going from it and what we know of you so far is mm-hmm. that you are a proud, strong, wahine Māori and Punjabi. Have you always mm-hmm. been this, like this? Have you always been confident? No. Oh, God, Where did it no. come from? Probably has a lot to do with um, the people that I've surrounded myself with. Mm. You know, because like in a former life, you know, I felt like I was that surrounding and now I feel like I'm in a thing. But it's a, it's age as well. Like I think when I chased, um, when I was really determined to be sure of my whakapapa and where I was from, it did something to me as a person. Yeah. And I felt more sure of who I was, where I was from, and it made me more proud and it made me... Um, like it put me on 
somewhat of a mission to ensure that even, you know, those around me, my children, my sisters, mm. you know, that, I mean, you know, you always want them to jump on board the worker with you, but, mm. um, you know, like, it, and it just empowers you to, you know, to empower others, but a big, big part of it has been um, the people that I've surrounded myself with, you included, Johnson, mm. like in the, in the industry, mm. especially when there's, um, there's not, well, there are, there are Māori and Pacific Island and um, diverse ethnicities in the industry, but a lot of the time it depends on where you are to even mingle with those other people. Like, I started my career at Māori Television. It was great. It was awesome. You know, like I felt at home. I could walk around the office with no shoes on. and that life. You know, and everyone's speaking the real and you're absorbing as well as doing your mahi and you know all that sort of thing I went from there to media works and I got the biggest culture shock of my life which is crazy because I didn't grow up in you know in Māori dim or te ao Māori mm. but it's kind of what I came to expect from well, the workplace the yeah 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 totally and wow. yeah so I, th I think it was definitely the the people in the environments that I've been in, the challenges, the adversities with being in. Um, it's a dog eat dog world in broadcasting. Mm. Um, so those things that you learn from probably as well. Yeah. Let's let's look at before before we get we mm -hmm. get to media. Um, what were you doing before that? <laughs> so, what were some of those odd jobs that you were doing? So I. Um, like I left school and I got a career job and, you know, just flat tech. But once I had my son, I was 20 when I had him, I started stalking him. So I followed him around and I became a kaiafina at Kōhanga. And then um, my I had my second son two years later and I moved to another like daycare where they were. And then um, they were too old to be at daycare anymore. So I went to Plunkett so I could still be involved in their lives and... <laughs> Are you those ones that hover? Are you a hover mark? I used to be. I'm not anymore, probably because they're like, oh, get away. Like, my son's going to be 17 soon, so I can't really hover over him anymore. But, yeah, that's that's how um, mm. my professional career kind of started was um, stalking these kids. And then uh, um, after that, you know, so obviously I my third child and I can't do anything, you know, to do with their child unless I became a primary school teacher which I you know that wasn't my um my intention to do so um I became a case manager at work and income and um decided to I was working in Mangere at the Mangere office and thought well I've done you know a lot of community work like you'd be surprised how much you know working in Plunkett and working at Work and Income can actually work hand in hand mm -hmm. in terms of working with whanau and um, helping the vulnerable and things like that so I was like man this is a great way for me to especially in the community I grew up in in Mangere to be able to give back and help our people and and things like that yeah mm -hmm. so from Work and Income I, I w went into television but yeah Work and yeah. Income was probably the major job I had before that. Mm. Mm. I heard you dabbled in a bit of modelling too. Oh, Are yeah. Are you tell us about that? <laughs> what is that about? Okay. So coming from work and income and like I didn't go to Māori television and become a reporter. You know, I got a job as an archive librarian because I was obsessed with sport on the side. So they got me archiving anything that went to air on TV. I was shot, making a list of every shot, what it 
you know, who was in it, what was happening, rah, 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 so that when reporters needed to get vision to fill the holes in their story because they didn't shoot enough or needed some more, um, you could type it in, look in the archive, and, oh, yeah, here it is. And I would get them the tape back in the day, give them the tape, and they could, you know, put their stories together. Um, oh, I've totally gone off track now of what the question no, was. Modelling. Oh, modelling, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> um, but while I was there doing that job and helping um, these reporters out, I was finding that I was not only giving them that, but I was giving them a lot of statistics, a lot of history, a lot of things that in my mind, you should already know this, but um, because I was obsessed and I used to research off my own back and was just obsessed with um I used to just do it and then I thought to myself man if I can give them the vision and I can give them the history and statistics I can make stories myself mm. and so what began was how do I get myself how do I come out of my archive librarian chair and how do I get into a reporter's chair how do I go about that so the one thing that I had never ever ever done was be in front of a camera ever so I thought to myself how you know you have to tell your story one but you have to be confident to deliver it mm. as well um you know because I'm watching them they're on camera they're doing voice work and, and all this sort of thing I was like oh my god I've never done that before but I was just so determined that I wanted to be in that seat um so my boss at the time said have you ever thought of doing modeling like and getting yourself comfortable in front of a camera yeah you're not talking and doing those sorts of things but at least you will um, you know, meet people in the industry. Um, you'll be able to, you know, work your angles. Um. <laughs> oh, I have learned some today from Johnson. Just about angles. There you yeah. go. There you go. Oh, we'll be talking about your modeling career. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but yeah, and it took this. Um, it, I went down a, a hair modeling route. Mm. So, like, I would legit have next to no hair. Or that I like my hair. I actually looked in my memories today and I had this short as pixie cut, super, super blonde. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And that's just so that they can colour it and do whatever they want with it in a competition. Yeah. So I used to, I used to pay well. It used to pay really well. So we used to do competitions for Weller and GHD and all these all these people, so I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, at the same time, I'm making friends who are also aspiring to do other things, but this is the side hustle and trying to get to, to where we want to go. And then eventually, which is, the you know, one of the most, um, the best things I think I ever did was um, a Maori designer approached me one day and said, oh, hey, I make some kākahu. Um, I live in um, Mount Maunganui and we're trying to, you know, get this business off the ground and blah, blah, blah. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'll be interested if you want to, you know. And she goes, well, there's a competition coming up and it's the Indigenous Runway and it's run in Taranaki every year and it's only for um, Indigenous models to show off the kākahu, yeah, for aspiring Māori um, designers. But this one year, they were also inviting Aboriginal designers. So we're all in mm. this marae in Taranaki with Aboriginal and um, Māori designers and they're sharing all these stories and what have you. And then from then on, um, we were doing um, New Zealand Fashion Week. We yeah. went to Melbourne and did Melbourne Spring Fashion Week and all these great opportunities. Mm. And I got to do it with these beautiful 
strong Maori woman and see that comes back to the people that yeah. I think that I surrounded myself with because when I think back to those that were really really grinding and you know to buy the materials and all of that they were buying it themselves and yeah. just selling off what they had made to make some more mm. take the pictures and start again so um yeah I was I was really really proud to say that I'd done that for for our wahine over the years. That's pretty mm. cool, cool, though. That's, awesome. that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. That is so but People cool. don't even know that that stuff exists as no. well, you know? I guess if we come back to, you've, you finally left your archive librarian chair <laughs> and you're telling stories. What stories are you passionate about telling? For some strange reason, I've always gone back to netball and not because it's like a safety net, but because I've always been um, a huge advocate, A, of wahine and sport, there, there is just not enough coverage. And netball, you know, even to now you can probably say is the most popular sport for women in New Zealand. So for me, netball was really, really important because, um, you know, we had this, you think back to... I don't know how many years ago, seven, eight years ago, um, when you're thinking about the domestic teams and who were in them and we had the trans-Tasman competition going on at that time and like we had the coverage but I was just like, where are the stories, you know? Like why aren't we hearing about, you know, so-and-so's had a baby and blah, blah, blah. You know, we hear about Richie McCaw and the pilot and, well, you know, flying helicopters and rah, 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 but you never got to... It was results-based, um, and this is for all um, female sport in general, it was results-based, and you only really heard about them if they won, yep. and won well, yep. you know? So nipple was where that little crusade started, <laughs> and then, yeah, it was just trying to, um, I jumped on, even though, you know, Facebook wasn't really uh, what it is today, but I used to have this thing called Ravinda's Review. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And um, I used to just spout out everything that was on my brain about netball, like mm. if it was a Mystics game or, a, you know, Magic or whatever was happening, like the highlight game of the round or whatever. And I would do that. And then one day, Kelda FM messaged me and said, oh, hey, would you like to jump on our radio station and give us a bit of a rundown of the ANZ Championship weekend ahead? And um, that can be like your little segment mm. on, on mm. there. So small win, but yeah, that's where it all started. And, and to this day, netball has always been something I've been quite passionate about stories being told. Yeah, You were the first reporter to establish a relationship and tell Israel Arasanya's story. Did you know back then he was going to be the superstar that he is today? Yep, without Why? a doubt. How? There are some people that come into your life where you just go, man, that person is destined for greatness. You know, they have this, they do well in their sport, you know, they perform really well, they win their games or win their fights or what have you, but when you talk to people and you kind of get a an understanding of their mindset and their wairua and you know what their and their journey you kind of think man watch out for this person like if this person wants it they're going to have it and that was him it still is now like it's scary to think that this guy is still not at a hundy mm -hmm. you know like he's still got a long way to go but you know him and th there's been a couple of other people in my life where I'm just like wow 
yeah, can't wait to see you in the future. And I think the other thing too was that I was just determined to get fight sport um, not mainstream but noticed because we had these exceptional athletes that were performing all around the world, you know, carrying our flag and no one was taking notice. Has that been hard? Mm, yeah. What has that journey been like? Frustrating, really frustrating, especially when you get told – no, we're not going to do that. No, you're not right. No, you're not. And I'm not saying that I know better than what my bosses are telling me, but I'm just, you know, because when I met my husband, he was so heavily involved in um, jujitsu and going to these MMA fight nights and kickboxing and what have you that we could see inside the bubble how much of a big deal it was. And, you know, when you think about those veterans that have, you know, Mark Hunt, Ray Seffel, that were competing in K1 all those years ago, I'm like, how do we still not catch on to this? Yeah, but it was just, I mean, at the time I thought, well, if it's not rugby, it's not not accepted. Catch on in terms of a world-dominating sport. But, yeah, I'm glad to see where it's come now. But, yeah, Israel's, he's just, um, I don't know, he's just a different... Human being, yeah, yeah. Another recognition that I feel you're not uh, given enough of is around uh, the years you've spent reporting on mixed and men's netball. Mm. Um, And you've done this for for a while. I remember when you used to do, uh, I think it was on Māori TV, you used to do some stories um, during mixed nets, yeah. um, even during indoor mixed nets, yeah. um, and I remember those. I remember those stories mm. well before last year's Cadbury series, mm. when the men's netball kind of blew up a little bit more. You know, yeah. I, I guess gained a little bit more public attention. Mm. Mm. Um, and I would think back to those times. Mm. Um, do you ever feel you're acknowledged for that? Um, or no. do you feel? Do you feel like? You've 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 played your part in helping these come these stories come to light a little bit more. Oh, definitely, mm. and I'm very proud to say that I have. But the amount of times I was told no, I don't want to see men on TV playing netball would blow your mind. Like that is how small-minded. Yep, especially when you think about the equality when you know our white ferns or black ferns are saying you know we need equal pay to the men, but then when it's the other way around the script just totally flips and I couldn't understand that um but I'm very very proud that they're getting their comeuppance now and I don't um I don't tell stories to seek recognition at all if I tell a story about somebody um I want to do it um wholeheartedly and even stories I've done with you Maya like I think about when um that athlete goes home or their whānau sitting at home and they turn on the news tonight, are they going to be proud of it? Mm-hmm. Did Ravinda Hunia capture my story? Did she put, you know, did she, whatever she's talking to me about today, so if I won a World Cup, did Ravinda paint that story in the best way she could or was there a hidden agenda or, or something like that? So for men's netball, that's a funny story actually. Mm-hmm. The, the day that um, – I was having a discussion with a colleague and it was the very first story about why isn't men's netball recognised under the International Netball Federation. That was the story that went on seven sharp and all these sorts of discussions. And um, I was talking to a colleague about it and um, he said to me, you know, that'll make a great story. And I was like, but is the world ready to have it? 
Is the world ready to do it? And if I put the story out, am I going to harm these athletes who are my friends yeah. as well? Um, and, you know, I play netball with them week in, week out. How is this going to affect them? Because I've known it's a story for the past, you know, at least five years. Mm-hmm. And they've been playing netball for the last 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. So treating carefully was always the, you know, in the back of my mind in talking about those stories. But once it came out um, and once I could see that they were proud of it and that they were willing to talk to me about it and they said, yes, it's okay if you put that into your stories, I felt like there was an element of trust that they knew that the story would be told in a way that's respectful, not only to them, but to the sport mm. so it's where they are now I'm just so very very proud that I had a small part in it. and like you were saying it's it's all about how you frame what mm. goes into into these stories did you you know that Cadbury series last year blew up mm. in terms of media coverage um, public reaction I think has been really interesting and I don't know how it felt for the men but you know maybe that um walking on eggshells, mm. waiting in anticipation to see how people reacted. What did you think of the public's reaction? And were you surprised by it? I was surprised by it because I I was, um, I don't know if I was lucky enough, but because, you know, I'm working in, I was working in journalism and I'm a part of that netball public, mm. I got to see both reactions. Yeah. And there was a lot of, people in my workspace who obviously I won't name who were not happy about it mm. people who I know who have been big supporters of netball for many many years that did not want to see that game happen end That's of story yeah me. end of story mm. I don't know if it's a generational thing or if it's a you know I have you know there was a comment made that you know men get recognition and everything and now they're going to take this away from the woman too type perceptions I could see some bits of the argument where you know um and in terms of um the people in the netballing community there was such a um there was a huge huge support for it but after the Cadbury series I could see you know they better not injure them they better not do this they better not do that but then after the world cup when they won (laughs) Very different story. Oh, if it wasn't for the men that prepared them. And, and that's the change of narrative that I found interesting because, mm. like you said, now the narrative is they prepared them as best as they yep. could and their mahi has helped win a World Cup. That's right. And now I think that's changed how they are perceived because they are the most amazing athletes. Mm-hmm. And to see that just change because the women win a World Cup. Yeah. I yeah. just find that really interesting. Yeah. I respect that, you know, the women in this country lead the way on this, like wholeheartedly, but we're never going to... There was a follow-up article I did after that, and the headline was, um, two wrongs don't make a right. Like, mm. if we, you know, if we're going to do this equality thing on this side, it has to be across the board. Why can't we have men in the game? We're only targeting 50% of an audience of a sport that we're trying to fight, you know, a little while back for its survival in this country. Mm. If we have everyone across the board, it only means it opens up so many opportunities for women's netball in terms of sponsorship, a chance perhaps at the Olympics in the future. You know, all these sort of avenues um, build up, but not to take away of the 
brilliant work and for many, many years that woman, not only on the court, but Netball New Zealand as an organisation, as an organisation of women have done for the sport has been absolutely amazing. But bringing the men in, I can guarantee you, will revolutionise the way we look at netball and we can already see it happening. And I do agree that I'm a traditionalist, so I am all Mm. for sticking to the traditional side of the game. But I think what it has shown is that netball is a game for all Mm. and you can have so many shapes and sizes and whatnot, but it just shows it's a it's a game for all people. Mm. And that's, I guess, that's the grunt of it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Having dabbled in reporting myself, you know, <laughs> I know that there are so many men, but very few mixed race females or very few... Yeah, um, yeah I can that only, you say it, yeah. Well, <laughs> I can only think of yourself and probably, you know, being mixed race, but mm. when we look at uh, Māori or Pacific... You know, only Ash Stanley comes to mind. Mm. She's only just recently started to come yep. onto the scene, right? Yep, so how do you feel being a mixed-race female sports reporter in a male-dominated industry? You know what? If I've had any success in my career thus far, it's because of that. It's mm. because I have a different perception of the world. Mm. I can tell a story like nobody else can because I view the world differently. 100. I have, you know, yep. I go through a different... I'm. From a different place, I have, you know, I've been surrounded by different culture. Um, I've grown up in a very different community. Um, Hard out. I, I can't count how many reporters have come out of South Auckland. Um, I have a different, I just have a different makeup. And a female on top of that, that's where I think that's my strength. So for a long time there when I first started, I will admit that I, I felt like I didn't fit in. I felt like I was way in above my head. Like there were so many times and it's a brutal world where I think some people, I don't know if they just made me feel that way. And, you know, my confidence was really, really low. Um, and you just kind of have to get through it and really believe in the kaupapa you're trying to put forward. Like my one of the other big reasons why I wanted to do what I'm doing is because growing up in South Auckland, I was living in Mangere East and Joseph Parker's family's up the road, David Tua's family's up the road, Mark Hunt's family's up the road, Roger Tuivasa Sheik went to my school. You know, we had all this great talent coming out of my community, but we weren't telling our own stories from our perspective. Like we were looking at, you know, these amazing athletes, but who were they and where did they come from and what made them the athletes that they are today? They didn't just turn it on then they can, you know, kick a ball around or throw a punch. You know, they had these families behind them and I think that's why I got so passionate with fight sport in particular because of those names I just um, rattled off is because I know the community they grew up in and I've seen their families and I know some of their siblings and, you know, so I could really give um, a different perspective but not in the story but the relationships I make with the athlete. Mm. Like I can talk to them like nobody else I think really can. And I think that's why there's a lot of sports like those types that have kind of been untouched because there's just um, no one to relate. That's right. No one understands them as people, so they won't let them in that trust bubble. Yeah. And I think when you talk about your point of difference within this male dominated industry, have Mm. you ever felt like you've experienced racism within that, within your normal life experience and how have you personally dealt with it? I have 
um, just in the way that people talk to me differently. You know, like I can watch them have a conversation with someone in the office and then they talk to me and, you know, what's up, blah, 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 blah. Like, and I'm like, oh, wait, do I talk like that? Do I, do I, do I call you homie? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's little things like that. But I, I might be misunderstanding that as them trying to be relatable to me. But, you know, it's, it's something that I've probably need to use my voice about with a little bit more as well. Racism, not so much. Sexism, one million percent. Wow. One million percent. Mm-hmm. There, even if like I go to like a cricket press conference for the Black Caps and I, you know, I'm sitting in the room and, you know, nobody talks to me, you know, and I know them, you know, these are people, these are like colleagues or former colleagues that I've worked with before and I get it. It's very competitive, you know, when you're in those presses, it is brutal at times and you want to say your question, you want to get the best answers out of them and you're going to lead the news tonight and rah 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 but at the same time, there is nothing wrong with being a GC mm. and being polite and manners cost you nothing and, you know, those, those are the sort of things. So I'm just like, I know when I go to things like that, that I just keep to myself, I walk in, head down. Um, I'm, I was at the Cricket World Cup last yeah. year. Yes, we were talking about that actually. Yeah, I was at the Cricket World Cup and I had a I had an experience where I wasn't even handed the microphone. I had my hand up the whole time. It was like in a room of 200 men from all oh, over the where? world. From all over the world. Honey, you know? there's an issue. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I didn't even get the opportunity to ask my question and I'd even been given the nod that it was coming around to me, but it never came. And then the press conference finished and I was like, okay, now how do I go back and call my boss in New Zealand and explain that I didn't ask the question that he told me to ask or that we had discussed because they simply wouldn't give me the microphone. Um, But, you know, you just kind of had to deal with it. The really funny part was after after New Zealand had beaten India in the semi-final, I finally got the microphone and I looked at Kane and I said, kia ora Kane. Ravinda Hunia here from RNZ and he looked at me and he just had the biggest smile and I was thinking to myself, yeah, I bet you've never been, you know, greeted in Māori. Um, Halfway across the world. In England, yeah. <laughs> Before. But again, it was using my, that point of difference and trying to connect in because I had to now, I knew that I had to work extra harder to try and um, communicate and relate our own athletes from our own country. I 100% know what that feels like. And, you know, not in terms of being the only, you know, female in in, in a room, but using your experience and your uh, point of difference. Um, And I do exactly the same thing in Mm. terms of I, you know, even... Even when I've gone to presses and stuff and I've looked around and I've seen that I'm the only Pacific person mm. or even just the only brown person, there, was, there hasn't been a Māori reporter in there as well. Yeah. I know that I am going to ask a question that these other guys will have, will, won't even be able to relate to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 100%. And, and whenever I go out and do, do um, talks and stuff, I always say that um, I've always felt that in both uh, in, in in media, that my ethnicity is actually my advantage. Hundred mm, percent. So, think maybe TVNZ might be the only place you haven't worked at. Correct. In terms of the networks. Correct. Yeah. 
So, so, so we're to, we're to, we're to I applied for here. a job there and didn't get it. Yeah. Don't worry, I've applied too many times in here. Um, yeah, so, so we're to, we're to, uh, we're to from here. That's funny because I just don't know. Um, I've kind of worked and worked and worked and worked with these projects that I've been given and um, you'll know, like with Sky mm. Sport News being um, the latest stuff that we've done and now I'm in this producer, presenter role um, that I n- never thought that I'd be doing and I never really had an interest in doing, to be honest. I just wanted to, you know, tell these cool stories. But now I get um, – I recently did a, a documentary on the Kiwi Ferns and their 25th um, anniversary this year that next to no one even knew about. Um, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't think anybody knew. Yeah. So, it, and that just goes to show, you know, how much coverage they've had over the years. Um, but when I had the opportunity to do that, that is um, right now probably right at the top of greatest things I've ever done. And, and I've been to, you know, I've been able to travel on this job and, I, you know, but that is probably one of the, the best things I've ever done. So telling those stories, like, I'd love to do more of that um, work. Um, if I'm not in front of the camera, K-Tepai by me, mm-hmm. like I'm all good with that as long as I can keep telling these cool stories. No, I think you've got something special to offer in front of the camera. And I've said that to you yeah, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I have, I, you know, and I, and I do, I do think it. <laughs> There's, I don't I don't know what it is, but mm. <laughs> I think you do have something special to offer well, in front of the camera. And when I'm when you say that, like representation is really important. And you know, I've done all this work to to try and you know boost what you know really are minorities um, in terms of storytelling. And you know, I have always said, and I do need to you know live by the sword and say, you know, I want other little girls in South Auckland to mm-hmm. look at people like me and say, I can do that too. Yeah. Like it's realistic. I didn't go to broadcasting school. I started out as a librarian and I worked really, really hard to try and be a reporter. So, mm. Mm. And you helped me too. <laughs> you yes. helped me too. <laughs> I know. I was talking to him about that. I was like, what made you draw old mate out? He was finished <laughs> in his yeah. com- well, media mm. sort of thing. What made you be like, hey, come <laughs> on, we're going to go over to well, Sky? Well, you were kind of into mine. So mm. I was kind of like, mm, I wonder if this would entice him to... Mm. And now you can say you've done it. Yeah. Mm. And you know what? I, I was saying to Maya today that that, that stint that we did on Sky Sport News, um, that our stories were the most popular. Yep. You know? Yep. Were the, were the, and, we're, and she goes, why was that? I said, she said, what did you say to me? Was it about people? I think it was about people. Mm. It's, and it's the type of stories that yeah. people want to connect with. Yeah. yeah. Quite proud of that because mm-hmm. um, it probably, for me, it probably something that wasn't expected. Mm. Um, one of the questions that I had was, how did you do it? I have a really, really, really supportive husband mm. who if, what three kids at home and the amount of time that it took to go the route that I did, because um, I knew nobody. I knew nobody yeah. in the industry. Um, so that meant that I was working seven days a week, you know, when I was doing those building block jobs, like the modeling jobs to start out with was all for free. You know, I went out and I bought myself an outfit and I bought the right pair of shoes and I was spending money to try, mm. you know, on a, you know, for a dream. And um, it's worked. Yeah, that's it. It's that's all paid it off. Yeah. But it really is like what you think about, you just, if you keep thinking it, it just, it happens. It will, it will happen for you. People just have to really just get in there like, and not get too disheartened when, when the harsh things happen because 
man, I've had some harsh things happen to me. I've been live on TV and freeze. I've had, you know, so many times where I'm just like, oh man, is this, you know, is this the right thing for me? But then I go home and my babies tell me how proud they are of me. And my husband says, you know, of course we'll support you. And of course you can go and do that. And where are you going today? Are you going down to Wellington? Oh yeah, cool. And well, these you know. are some of the things, right, that you're adding to your kit of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these totally. Are some, and, and you mentioned dream. Um, mm. And totally up to you if you'd like to share it. But what would be a dream role for you? A dream role for me, um, I would love to be in a position where I'm able to direct more people like me to do more of what I'm doing there's you know we tell a lot of stories but you know there's so much more and it's not only always about stories it's just Mm. about you know shining a light on something or making it relevant and you know how many times do we have to hear the word equality in New Zealand sports it's just you know dry now guys do something about it and (laughs) you know we're in a position to do Mm. something about it so and we still need more of us doing this stuff and unfortunately for us it's a lot of it is off our own backs and um, sometimes at our own peril in terms of career and the story choices that we have but we're just lucky um, that there's been people around us that have believed in us and trusted in our vision to get the work done so I would love to be in a position one day where I can see more of this mahi um, happening. You know what, just sitting here listening to you, I feel so proud <laughs> because not only are you a representation on such a main stage, but being a Māori woman for me is so inspiring and so to hear mm. of all your mahi and how you want to be an inspiration for our rangatahi, mm. want to build those blocks and break down those barriers. How do you personally hope your mahi will inspire our future generation well I'm lucky that my mahi is recorded you know unless they go Mm. on their websites and delete it all (laughs) there's a record there there's you know you can you can go through my career simply by going through you know these articles yeah that I've done in the past so you know technology is going to get better and better and better um resources will be more accessible but I'm hoping that you know my articles maybe one day become a resource for for people that um like, oh, I'm going to do this story. Oh, these 10 years ago, there was this story. And oh, I wonder what happened to this person and blah, blah, blah. And people can take that away as, as a learning. Or, you know, I've had my daughter even ask me to use an article for an assignment at school. You know, it's things. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's That's things cool. like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Tell them to like. Tell them to subscribe. To- yeah. <laughs> click, click, click. No. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. But, yeah. Mm. But it's... um. My hope is that we're going to get to a time where it's just not even an issue. Mm. Like, you know, I feel that, you know, the Silver Ferns are slowly getting to that space now where, you know, the World Cup win most definitely helped. But for it not to be so results driven and, you know, really mana driven, but we need the people in the right positions to have that belief in our athletes. Because have the belief and the power. That's right. And with yeah. that power is so much responsibility and I take that Agreed. very, very seriously. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, thank you very much for um, for joining us today and, and taking some time out to, to Oh, Thanks to for being over. interested. Oh, yeah, quite all with us. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. So thank you. That's been fun. You've given me a lot to think about too.